Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We're now well into the prep and high school season, and we're excited about the way things have been going. I'm with Mike Z, regional editor of New England Baseball Journal. Mike, this is a big addition because it's the return of prep and high school baseball. What can readers expect in the next edition of New England Baseball Journal? Yeah, Dan, great to be joining you and great to be on here uh, with you at such a great time of year when all our thoughts are on baseball and what's coming up and what we get to cover and watch this year that we missed out on a year ago. Uh, as you mentioned, the spring issue of New England Baseball Journal is very heavy on prep school and high school coverage. Uh, we kind of shine the spotlight on a number of teams and players in our six state region that are really worthy of attention based on their performance and their potential. Uh, you know, we're excited to fill it with feature stories, watch lists, uh, in addition to our, our regular college coverage and pro coverage. So we feel it's a very good issue and we're excited how it's come together. Yeah, it's it's been great to work on it and tell the stories of the players who got last year taken away from them. But you also feel the excitement from all of those players about what's to come this year. Yeah, it feels like the, the players and even the coaches didn't get to do what they love to do, you know, which is be on the field. And the typical seasons, you, you grumble about being out in the mud and the cold in March. Uh, but I, I think they gladly take that after not getting the chance to do it, do it last year. And it, you got a great guest today, someone who's really been involved in the prep school space uh, over the years and been a great source for us at New England Baseball Journal and baseballjournal.com. Yeah, absolutely. And he, He's a good guest for, for multiple reasons, but one of them, it's the Milton Academy coach, Matt Petherick. And he's been there for 13 years, but he's also a coach with Northeast Baseball. And Northeast Baseball did have a season over the summer. And that's the way a lot of guys got looks over the last six to nine months is get playing club baseball. So Matt's able to tell us what guys have been doing over the last six to 12 months to get looks, what it was like to have last season canceled and his expectations for the ISL season this year. Stick around, Milton Academy coach Matt Petherick is up next. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. The winter edition of New England Baseball Journal is being shipped to subscribers and the digital edition is available at BaseballJournal.com. The cover story for this edition focuses on the top three pitching prospects heading into the 2021 MLB Draft. Wake Forest junior Ryan Cusick tops the list after spending the fall season in the Wake Forest Pitching Lab grooming his 100-mile-an-hour fastball. North Andover native Steve Hajar, a redshirt sophomore at the University of Michigan, could make a leap into the first round after making just four starts at the college level due to an ACL tear as a freshman and an early end to the 2020 season due to the pandemic. Virginia junior Mike Vassell could also boost his stock after an injury-plagued start to his college career. He was considered one of the top high school prospects in the nation out of BC High. Also in the winter edition, we have college previews for D1, D2, and D3 schools. We ranked all of the top teams and players. And we have prep and high school previews for all of the conferences around the New England region. Visit 
BaseballJournal.com to view any of those stories. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Matt Petherick of Milton Academy. He's been the head coach for 13 seasons. Matt, thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, Dan, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. I listen to your podcast often. I get to listen to you with my boss, Scott Patterson, and um, honored to be here, so thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about the prep school season. We've been doing stories for the last year without games, so I'm really excited to uh, kick things off and actually see these guys play again. What is uh, I know that you're coaching girls hockey at Milton Academy. Uh, what has the spring, li- spring been like from a baseball perspective? Uh, well, thus far, we haven't been able to do much um, on campus as a team. Um, the winter season lasted uh, an extra week just so uh, those winter athletes could get a couple extra games under their belts, um, and deservedly so. You know, they worked hard this season, um, and they decided for whatever reason that they're not going to hold any sort of you know spring tryouts prior to our spring break, which started yesterday. So we are kind of on break right now as a school. We'll come back the last week of March, um, and we will start as a team on April 5th. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's a, a little bit behind schedule, but it'll be nice to finally get these kids back on the field. Um from a mental perspective, how, how are the guys on your team doing? I know that, you know, the last year has been filled with a lot of starts and stops and some disappointment. Have you been able to kind of monitor that or are you doing anything to support your guys that way? Yeah. I mean, they, they've been working hard uh, on their own in the weight room, um, you know, uh, outside in our gym, all that stuff that they can do uh, with their club teams. Um, You know, I've been monitoring what they're doing that way. Um, Aside from that, you know, I just try to maintain some sort of steady contact with them because a lot of them are on campus either. A couple of them are are, are remote because they are boarders and um, they've chosen to stay at home for that time period. But we've been um, we've been making sure that they're working hard and doing what they need to do to stay in shape and get ready to go when we start in April. Yeah, it's interesting because even after the prep school uh, season was canceled last year. We we got a chance to see a lot of those guys at some showcase events, whether it be um, you know locally or even reading about them, you know, mm-hmm. at, playing at uh, different you know perfect game events or things like that. Do you get a sense that um, most of these guys have been able to compete in games, even though it hasn't been for Milton Academy? Oh yeah, for sure. They've uh, I, I mean all of them have played uh, over the summer. They played a full schedule. I mean I coach with uh, Northeast Baseball. We had a full schedule. Um, yeah. You know, we must have played, you know, 40 games over the summer with uh, with our 15U team. Um, you know, so all those guys that play in the summer, you know, whether, whether it be for, you know, the Boston Prospects or the Nor'easters <laughs> or the Roughnecks, whoever they're with, have, you know, they got to play. And then they played again um, this fall as they, a lot of those programs extended from the, uh, from the summer into the fall as well. Oh, okay. Now, looking forward uh, to this prep season, I know it's going to be a little bit different. Um, what do you expect the ISL season to look like this year? Yeah, so we're, we're not going to have any sort of ISL champion. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if other schools and other leagues are doing that. Um, that's only because we're not going to be able to play all, all the schools like we typically do. So in the typical season, we'd play all 15 other ISL schools. Um, this year, we're looking at an April 16th start date for an ISL schedule, and it'll be roughly six weeks long. Um, and we'll do two games per week, and they'll be, you know, either Friday, Saturday, or a doubleheader on Saturday. Um, they'll be, I would assume, uh, against the same school. So, you know, we'll play Thayer on Friday, then Thayer will come play us on Saturday um, and kind of go from there. Um, you know, but there'll be, like, no midweek games, um, you know, for the you know for the majority of us anyways. 
um, as all of us go through the testing protocols during the week to make sure that everyone's kind of being safe and all that. Yeah, that's interesting. So I would think that from a strategic standpoint, that would change a little bit in terms of how you use your pitchers and things like that. How do you expect that to be different? Yeah, usually, you, you know, you start to ramp up one guy to be able to pitch on a Wednesday and one guy to pitch on a Saturday. That's typically what the schedule looked like for uh, for us. Um, and, you know, you'd start to work towards that right now and say, like, hey, you're going to be our Wednesday guy and start preparing that Wednesday is going to be your seventh day of pitching, right? Like, so in the seven-day rotation of, of workouts. Um, now it's going to be, you know, we're going to prepare everybody to pitch on Saturday um, mm -hmm. with one, with, you know, a couple of guys being able to throw on Friday should we have a Friday game, um, you know, so – it might be better because um, it allow us a little bit more flexibility to use guys in different positions because if you use a guy on a Wednesday, you're probably not going to come back to him on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we can kind of fit people in uh, a little bit more differently than we would had it been a traditional schedule. Yeah. Now you have uh, four guys on your team who have made, or last last I checked, we had four guys that uh, had made college commitments, including three at the Division One level. You have uh, Sam McNulty, who's committed to Boston College. Tanner Smith is committed to Harvard. Jack Bouchain is at Northeastern. And then Ethan Hillenberg um, has committed to Colby. Uh, the last year has been a weird one for recruiting because, uh, you know, NCAA has granted an extra year of eligibility for guys so that you've got guys staying in school an extra year. The draft was shortened so you don't have guys leaving school. How, do, how were those guys able to get looks and uh, offers during the last year? Yeah, Sammy was offered after his sophomore year, um, or maybe right before his sophomore year, um, by Coach Gambino and the and the Eagles, and um, he's kind of been locked in there for obviously for a while. Uh, Jacks came about uh, towards the uh, the beginning of last summer, mm -hmm. um, you know, and he obviously had a great summer and 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 you know signed on with Northeastern and Tanner was the same way. His probably lasted a little bit longer, uh, maybe into August. Um, I don't think it affected them so much. Um, I, I think also they're all really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that helps. Um, and, uh, you know, they got to see their coaches got to see them play all the time for the Nor'easters for NEB and for the Boston prospects. So they were seen a lot. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's those top tier guys that didn't lose out, whereas maybe there's another tier of guys who would have normally, you know, played last spring and got offers. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I can't think of any specifics off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you, you know, looked on Twitter and you could see kids that are, you know, throwing 89, 90 and still looking for commitments as seniors right now in high school, it's an unfortunate situation for them that they didn't have the, you know, the chance to play for their high school last year and, you know, really showcase their talents there as well. Is there anything more uh, that guys can be doing to get looks other than, I mean, it, we're expecting things to kind of pick up here in the spring. Was there anything that you recommended to guys over the last winter, spring season? Yeah, I always sit down with everybody before we head off just to let them know, like, my thoughts on showcases um, and, you know, be that college showcases or, you know, stuff like PBR and, and other, uh, like, Head First was, a, was one for high academic kids. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of map out a game plan to see, um, you know, uh, what kind of, places they can go to really showcase their talents, be it speed, power, throwing, whatever. Um, and then all of them obviously play a full slate of summer games. And, you know, it's it's ultimately my job to get in front of college coaches and tell them, you know, hey, maybe you should check this kid out. And he's, you know, a kid that could probably play at your level. And then they can make their own decisions from them too. So Yeah, and it, it does seem like there are some um, showcase events where, you know, you have to pay, you know, 500 bucks to play and you might not get your looks. And then other ones that are, 
um, it's extremely valuable even. So do you, is that the way you kind of lay it out? Like, Hey, you don't need this one, this one you do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I try to be honest and, and, and use all the information that I have at my, at my fingertips. Right. Like, so some of my advice, um, is just coming from, it's coming from a good place anyways. Right. Like I'm trying to steer them in the right direction and make sure that they're making a good decision as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, cause costs can get, you know, pretty exorbitant at times. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to, you know, three, four five of these things, then those costs certainly mount. Yeah. Um, and I try to, I just try to say like, Hey, why don't you pick, you know, two of these and then, you know, we can kind of, you know, reassess where you're at from there and then go. Um, and you know, I, I just try to be as honest as possible with them. Yeah. Now we've been, like I said, we've been writing about these prep school, you know, players and conferences for the last year without, uh, seeing too many games in the ISL. It's always loaded. It's going to be loaded again this year. Um, from a pitching perspective, who are some of the pitchers? around the league you're most I, I don't know if I would say most looking forward to seeing or at least looking for it who are the top pitchers that you're going to face this year yeah I mean uh, look I'm lucky enough to have uh, a couple of them at school um mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to face those guys uh you know Nobles always has a full slate of guys they have a guy out there right now that's you know uh, throwing in the high 80s really consistently um you know Belmont Hill always has a full slate of arms and you know as does Thayer and Lawrence Academy um, all those schools, but there's a couple of guys at Groton School right now um, who are who are two guys that are throwing you know 90 plus uh, in AJ Colarusso and uh, I think his name is Dylan Vigu. Yeah. Um, and you know, look over at Middlesex, they have Kyle Wolf who's headed off to BC. Yeah. Um, you know, so every team, uh, Co- uh, Colby Jokes is uh, down at um, uh, St. George's. Like, so there's a full slate of arms always. And the the other tough part about this as a coach is that we don't know who was going to be there for the first year last year. And, you know, we never saw, um, and they're still going to be new to us this year. Um, so that, that's certainly a challenge too. And what about from a hitting perspective, who are the toughest guys to get out around the ISL? Um, you know, you have, uh, the, the guys over at Nobles are really good. Luca Danos is a player and, uh, you know, uh, the catcher Bolin is a really good player as well. Um, you know, the, and then again, you can, you can take any sort of pick you want from those other schools of, you know, Thayer, Belmont Hill, um, you know, uh, Lawrence Academy, uh, Kyle Wolf was hit, uh, you know, well above 500 as a freshman, uh, two years ago. Um, you know, so he's, he's someone to certainly be feared as a two way guy. Um, you know, it's again, like when you start to look at these things and you sit down and say like, who are these, we have no data to go off of from last year. So you don't know who was ready to really make that jump either. So there are probably kids that played on their freshman teams at their high school, you know, two years ago that are now juniors and really, you know, ready to make a huge contribution at those schools. Yeah. It is such a huge developmental period where, you know, guys come in as freshmen and they don't have much experience and, yeah, like you said, from freshman to junior year, everybody makes a huge jump. And if you've been playing on these at these showcase events and for club teams, it could be night and day from what you saw the the last time out. We know also uh, the ISL. I mean, we've done stories on this. So there's legendary coaches all across the league, guys who have experienced like yourself, coaching at multiple levels. What are those relationships like, and what's it like competing against those guys? Yeah, I mean, some of my some of my really good friends are guys in the league, you know, and I, I rely heavily upon them, you know. Um, you know, Scott Patterson, who's uh, who's my boss at Northeast Baseball, uh, is at Groton School. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's someone I you know is is a dear friend, you know, and it's it. I think it's like, you know, when you were kids and you played wiffle ball in your backyard against your best friends, you wanted to beat them, right? And right. I think it's kind of the same thing here. Uh, there's a there's a, a healthy, friendly competition that goes on there. Mike Grant's at Belmont Hill, and, you know, I speak to Mike and, and Rob Murray over at Nobles a lot. And, 
you know, and Rick Forrestier, who's a there, is is a guy who helped me get my job at Milton. And, you know, we went to the same college. We've known each other for a while. I played against him when I was in the league, um, and he was the coach at BBNN. Um, you know, there's there's a, a really good group of guys in the league, and I think that we're all really friendly with each other. But that being said, I think we all want to beat each other as well and then, you know, shake hands at the end of the game and go on. Yeah. And now we know from a coaching perspective, um, you know, most years you really want to have kind of a handle on your guys and you want to know what they're doing in terms of training, where they're playing, who's who's coaching them, all that stuff. And you, like you said earlier, um, now this year you're kind of giving guys a week and saying, hey, decompress. I know it's been a grind this winter season and things like that. It feels like coaches have kind of let go a little bit on, um, you know, trying to have control of guys because they know it's been, you know, uncertain year, everything's up in the air. Um, have what, what type of training have you kind of prescribed to your players over the last year and how close have you monitored it? Uh, yeah, I give them a, a pretty extensive throwing program that I've kind of culled together, um, you know, using kind of other people's throwing programs, to be honest. And um, I've spoken with Matt Tabor, who played for me at Milton Academy and graduated in 2017, and he's with the Diamondbacks now, and he's helped out a ton in terms of uh, working with our pitchers that want to go work with him. Um, but I kind of send out a, a pretty extensive throwing program that includes, you know, pliability, flexibility, you know, um, some sprint workouts and all that stuff in addition to throwing uh, in the fall. And then, you know, for me anyways, I'm like, look, if you, if you want to really do this and really dedicate yourself to it, you're going to see results. I'm not, I can't sit over your shoulder and make sure you're doing this. And at that time, we actually weren't even physically in school. So it becomes even more difficult as kids were remote. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where if you want to take advantage of it, you'll really see some, you know, some positive outcome from it. And if not, um, you're going to be behind other guys that did. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that that's the biggest thing that we've had as coaches um, is just that kind of the relative hands off approach of, you know, laying out the stuff for them to do and hoping that they take advantage of it and do it. Yeah, I was. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Matt because I came down to Milton to see him pitch, uh, uh, like everybody else did. It's pretty, it, it, pretty good. Yeah, before he got <laughs> drafted, he was. I don't know. He was probably throwing. I, I don't remember, but it was at least low nineties, maybe mid nineties back then. Um, and I wanted to ask you about him because it's been you know there's been no minor league baseball or there wasn't last year, and it sounds like he's been around the program maybe a little bit more than he would have been. What's his last year been like, and um, how close do you keep him to the program? Um, yeah, I, I would have him around the program all the time. Um, he worked uh, this year with uh, with one of our young pitchers and really helped him out. The kid's a sophomore um, who made you know pretty significant strides on the mound just under Matt's tutelage. Um, you know, and again, whether or not we can translate that into a game is a separate issue, right? But um, Matt works uh, extensively with NEB guys, and um, you know he's 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 been around a ton. Um, training, um, you know, throwing, doing all those things that he needs to do to keep himself in shape and ready to go as a pro athlete. But also, um, you know, it's good to see him kind of give back to the programs that, you know, kind of gave him a lot too. Sure. Yeah. And it's a, I, the timing, it kind of works out. It's almost tough if you're like at the early stages of your minor league career, like he is, he got drafted out of prep school. So he's a younger guy. It's not like he's going to be in the big league level at, you know, I don't know how old he is now, 21, maybe. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's been tough for guys like that, and you feel bad for them that uh, kind of missed the year last year. But, you know, that stretches across every level of baseball, prep, high school. Everybody had a tough one last year. I wanted to ask about uh, Jack Bouchain. We did a story about him a couple of months ago. He's a rare uh, three-sport athlete at the prep level in the ISL. That's almost unheard of for a guy to be competing at a high level. How difficult is that to 
pull off and what do you uh, attribute that his ability to do it? Well, he's a really good athlete and mm -hmm. that's why he's able to do that, you know, to be able to, you know, translate, you know, his uh, kind of physical tools into three different sports that are really three different sports in terms of the physical attributes needed. Um, you know, he was, he came in as a really, really strong defender for a, a team that was, uh, that played for the New England championship two years ago, um, during his junior year in soccer. Um, you know, and then he became, you know, like the seventh man on the basketball team, just, just the, someone that, that grinded and played tough defense and was kind of where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. Right. Um, you know, and obviously in baseball, I didn't get to see him play last year. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great kid. He has a great family that keeps him grounded. And, you know, um, again, like, I just think as, as, as rare it is, uh, as it is to see a, a person playing three sports, he's also a rare athlete in that manner too. He's, he's tall, he's lean. Um, you know, he's got all those kind of special attributes that make you, uh, you know, potentially a really good player in all three things. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, um, your typical Northeastern recruit, you know, the three sport the guy, with enormous upside because, you know, when he focuses on one sport, who knows what his ceiling could be, um, which is interesting because you've got um, you've got a BC commit, you've got a Northeastern commit and Harvard. How do those recruiting experiences differ as a coach? Like what how much communication are you having with communication are you having with each of those coaches? Uh, Northeastern, um, I spoke to a couple of different times, uh, on Jack's behalf, but they, they really went through, um, Jack and, uh, through the Nor'easters because it was during the summer program and I hadn't seen Jack play, um, last year, um, you know, as, a, as his coach, um, you know, they, and Jack and I kept in steady contact and me and Jack's dad had kept in steady contact throughout the recruiting process. Harvard was a little bit more hands-on, um, you know, I, I know Coach Decker fairly well. He coached my old assistant coach at Trinity mm -hmm. um, when Deck was there. Um, and, you know, I know the prospects guy that, that Tanner plays for. So, like, we kind of, you know, um, formed a team, so to speak, with uh, with Harvard there. And in BC, um, you know, I, I know Coach Gambino and his staff, you know, fairly well. Um, I, have a, I have a lot of respect for him. I think they do a great job. Um, and thankfully, I've had a lot of kids from the NEB program go to play for BC. So my contact with them over the years has really kind of grown, um, you know, be it through uh, uh, Aaron Susi, who played a while back and is now at New Haven. And, um, you know, uh, AJ Colarusso, Kyle Wolf uh, was two summers ago. I had those guys on NEB. Mm -hmm. um, Matt Tabor was going through the process uh, and BC was in the mix there, too. And then. Um, you know, uh, Coach Gambino had reached out about Sammy when Sammy was a freshman, and, and, and Mike and I got the opportunity to kind of continue to talk about that over the next year or so before, you know, Sammy ultimately signed. So BC was probably the most hands-on out of all three, but it's also Sam was the youngest out of all, you know, to, to sign at that time. So Yeah, that makes sense. And BC's having a great year this yes, year so far. Yeah. It's unbelievable what they've been able to do, which kind of brings me to a, a question that I wanted to ask. Um, we did, and you were quoted in a story that uh, John McGurk, who is our prep school guy, uh, writer, he did a story on analytics and technology in baseball. And you, um, I was reading your quote, you know, in preparation for this, and you were saying you like it to a degree, you know, like uh, there, it seems like it's good to a certain degree, but at the high school or prep level, there's not a budget for, for a lot of that different stuff. And you still need to kind of look at it a different way. Do you think, well, how do you, what is your philosophy on uh, kind of embracing analytics and technology? And uh, do you think it's gone too far? It has a place in baseball for sure. I mean, when you can look at things like, you know, 
um, spin rates and launch angle and all that stuff, it, it has a place in baseball. And I think that all that data should be added into, you know, actually seeing kids and players play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a pitcher can have a great spin rate, but are they getting guys out? And, you know, ultimately that's why we're playing the game is to get the other team out. Um, you know, there are some people that have a, a really good launch angle swing, but they're, you know, not physically built enough to, you know, really drive the ball out of the ballpark, which these major league players are. Um, so I, I think there is a fine line between it. Um, you know, whether or not we've gone too far, I think that like the, the viewership of major league baseball can tell you that, mm-hmm. um, you know, those guys would be able to look at the data and see who's watching games and who's not. Um, you know, I look at it and try to take all the data in that I can and all the information I can gather and use it and then try to kind of rely on my own, uh, you know, years of coaching experience, which is almost 20 total now and, and say like, this is, you know, these are the positions I want to put players in for them to ultimately succeed at the, at the highest. And it's, it's different at the high school level, far different than it is at the major league level and college level. So, um, you know, we, we, we don't have the budgets and also we don't necessarily have the, the, the physical attributes that a lot of those guys have when they're, you know, way bigger and stronger in their twenties than they are at, you know, 15 years old. Yeah. And speaking of technology, um, you had mentioned this earlier and my wife is a teacher and she's been doing the remote learning experience for the last year and she's not a huge fan of it. It's a different way to teach, different way to, uh, try to reach kids. Um, and we've done, you know, zooms and for meetings and even podcasts and things like that. And I'm not a, I don't like it much either. What has your experience been like as a teacher in the last year, and what, um, how, how, has, how is the technology working for you? Um, I, I was not a huge fan of being remote. Um, I understood that there were extenuating circumstances that, that made us do it. Um, I, I just missed the actual human connection, you know, the small interactions that you have with, with students as they come into a classroom and leave a classroom, and you can start to see and really you know, you can see how their day is going. You can ask what they're doing, you know, on the weekend, you can congratulate them on a good game or a performance in a play or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you lose that kind of, uh, interpersonal set in the, in a, in a remote virtual world, um, where, you know, certainly everybody is more distracted, you know, when they're on a computer at home versus being in person and talking to somebody. Um, you know, I've been in person, uh, at school since October, um, is when we kind of made this change over to school where we allowed, you know, some day students back in and then, you know, later some borders in January, um, and love it. You know, I, I, all those things that I missed, I've been able to see certainly not perfect. Um, but you know, it's, it's for me personally, better option than staying remote and, you know, again, losing that interpersonal skill. Yeah. And we mentioned earlier, there were some, um, you know, Matt Tabor obviously is one of them. Some of the guys who have just been star players over, at the prep school level, you've been coaching at uh, in the ISL or Milton Academy for 13 years. Who are some of the um, the most exciting or top players, most talented players that you've seen kind of come through the system and perhaps even you know gone on to professional careers? Uh, Rhett Wiseman was probably oh, yeah. <laughs> probably the best hitter that um, we've we've faced. Um, in, in just a great kid. And I had the chance to work with Reddit, like a small clinic when he was a freshman and just a, a guy who really worked hard and was coachable and all that stuff. Um, Justin Bellinger was a force when he was at St. Seb's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, you can pick any sort of slate from the Belmont Hill crew, uh, you know, Charlie McConnell and um, their shortstop was at Northeastern right now, Spencer Smith, like all those guys. Harry Roberson, who went to, went to Amherst, was, uh, was unbelievable. Um, obviously I was lucky enough with Matt Tabor. I had Buddy Maroka who went on to Harvard as the captain of Harvard this year. And, um, you know, Shane Smith, um, who was at Govs, um, you know, there was a game where Matt pitched against Shane, um, you know, with 
30 scouts there. Uh, it must have been like an hour and 12 minutes long, you know, and, and just, uh, just a, a great thing. You know, it was, I mean, there's so many names that I know I'm forgetting too, but it's, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to do this and I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of good players. Um, but it, it's been, it's been a great, been, been a ride. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember when I went, uh, went down to see Matt, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it was an early season, like April, early April game. And I remember he pitched, uh, I want to say maybe like five innings and, um, had to come out and I was like, Oh man, I wanted to see this kid go the distance, but what type of, um, you know, care and, uh, restrictions do you have to place on guys to make sure, especially top guys like that, that, you know, have big futures in front of them. What's kind of your philosophy on making sure they don't get overtaxed or injured? Yeah. The, the game you referenced, I think Matt had a perfect game through five. Yeah. Innings. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, thanks for bringing that up. And, 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 and Matt and I battled on the, and on the bench that, uh, right, right. Like during that game. And, you know, he, he shot me a text later, you know, apologizing and, uh, and we laughed about it, you know, um, and yeah, I was, I was in contact with a lot of folks at that time. There were a lot of, there were a lot of people to speak with. Um, you know, Matt had an advisor he was working with, um, as he was gearing up to the draft. Um, Matt's dad, um, is someone that I have a really good relationship with as well. And again, relying on kind of my own years of, of, uh, experience and saying like, you know, ultimately I want Matt Tabor to do well at the pro level. Yeah. I don't need him necessarily to win a high school game. Yeah. Um, you know, when, you know, he could potentially at that point anyways, you know, there was talk of him maybe even bumping into that, you know, first or second round and, you know, uh, being an even higher pick than he was. Right. Um, you know, I, I, you know, reining it in with Matt was probably the toughest thing because he's such a competitor and he always wanted to pitch and he always wanted to exceed his pitch limit. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, when you, when you, when I sat down with all the people involved that, you know, we, we had a plan going into a game and I was going to stick to that plan. Yeah. We talk, I, just, I did an interview with the Cape League commissioner, and he was talking about the uh, experience of talking to ca- scouts, you know, on behalf of players, because uh, he's been a GM before, and he's also been a host uh, family for players that are on the Cape. And he was kind of saying pro scouts, um, and I don't know if this differs from college scouts, but they the pro scouts are asking questions like, what's this guy like off the field? Who, you know, what's he like as a teammate? What does he like to do after games? And it's very much kind of digging in because you're about to make a, you know, for a guy like Matt Tabor, it could have been a seven figure signing bonus. It's a big commitment to make. Uh, how, how in your experience did the experience, uh, did having Matt getting scouted by pro scouts differ from what the questions that college coaches ask? Uh, they asked a lot of the same questions in terms of like how he was as a, as a, a teammate and being coachable. I think the pros asked more what his life was like outside of school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, what was he doing on the weekends? Was he making good decisions? Was he, was he doing the things that were necessary? Was, was he going to be the kind of person that, um, you know, took a signing bonus and, you know, potentially partied it away? I mean, those are the, the kind of the, the hints I were getting, though they didn't say it so explicitly. Um, and I remember having a conversation with uh, one assistant GM specifically and, and that coming up and me honestly telling them that, you know, that wasn't really Matt's lifestyle and that wasn't the things that he chose to do. And, um, you know, but it was, it, it seemed the pros were more focused on the, the, the life outside of baseball mm-hmm. than the, uh, than the colleges were. Yeah, that makes sense. And what are you expecting, uh, the experience to be like, I was mentioning coming out and watching Matt and, you know, parents of around Massachusetts obviously want to come out and it's a little bit different at the prep level. Cause a lot of those guys aren't even local, but, uh, what do you expect the fan experience to be like? Are, are you 
having fans at games this year? Uh, we actually haven't heard anything on that, or at least I haven't from my end. My assumption is that like we should be able to have some sort of fan experience, be that, you know, um, like the, the, the two parent or two family rule that I know like football and the uh, MIAA is doing that right now. They each get like a, a, like a ticket basically. And you can have two people come in per player. Yeah. I'm hoping it'll be something like that. So that especially for seniors, their parents can come say, you know, come see them and, and talk to them and, you know, see their last, uh, you know, high school seasons. Um, hockey wise, um, there were, you know, sporadic parents um, depending on, you know, the rink and all that stuff. Um, so it, it's, it, it does vary school to school. Uh, I'm hoping that because baseball is an outdoor sport where, you know, we're in the spring, it's trending towards more people being vaccinated by that point that we'll be able to, uh, you know, have more people there. Sure. Yeah. And the, the I remember we did a, a series over at some point here in the pandemic where we highlighted like 10 of the best uh, prep school teams of all time. Uh, and I think we I included the 2017 Milton Academy team in that in that series. But uh, one thing that was a constant theme in all of those teams is just kind of the, the way the team came together, the camaraderie, the team chemistry, and they, they got a sense that something special was happening, even in the beginning of the year. And now when you're talking about um, guys haven't been able to kind of come together yet, you wonder if that's going to be lost this year. Are there things that you can do to kind of bring that camaraderie or, you know, instill that that togetherness in your team this year? Yeah, I mean, it definitely comes from the players. Um, I can guide and offer suggestions, but, you know, we have a, a great slate of seniors this year who are, you know, totally invested in the program and totally invested in their last year. So I have, you know, a lot of faith in the fact that they'll, they'll rally the guys together when we were first, you know, uh, practicing in that, in that first week of April. Um, I can also do a couple of things and offer some suggestions and, uh, and speak with them, um, frankly, about like the, the, the circumstances and the opportunity ahead of them. Um, and then hopefully they kind of, again, take it and run with it. And you have a buy-in, you know, from guy one to guy 18 or however many are on the roster. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing to ask, um, and this may have more to do with your experience with Northeast baseball, but it's funny. We look at a lot of these showcase events, you know, prep baseball report, all these other um, affiliates who have these showcase events. And the, the way that they kind of track these guys is like, you know, speed for 60 speed or they do exit velocity or even, you know, velocity on the mound. And without look without actually being at the event, which, you know, not all of them were open to media this year. It's difficult to say, um, hey, that, you know, throw from short to first that it was measured at 89 miles an hour. Like, does that translate to him being a stud on the field? Do you think those metrics are good measures of, you know, how, the level of prospects or, or is it just, you know, not kind of irrelevant? No, I don't think it's irrelevant, um, but I also don't think it's the end all and be all for it. I think that, again, like the like the the technology data we spoke about before, it, it has a spot and it's useful um, and it can help out kids and get them in front of coaches that they might not be able to get in front of if they, you know, if they have a big number and something, uh, you know, specific running, throwing, hitting, whatever it is. Um, but again, I think then the coaches come out and they see with their own eyes what's going to happen and they see how they react to adverse situations. They see how they react to failure or a strikeout or an error. And then they kind of start to think, you know, start to call together their own ideas then. But I think it, it's useful, has a spot. Um, but again, I don't, I don't think personally that it's the be all and end all for kids. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier, Coach, I think you said Coach Forrester helped you get your yeah, job. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Did, uh, you said you played for him and then... I played against him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was at, uh, I, my, I graduated from Roxbury Latin in 95 and 
Um, and Rick was at BBNN, uh, probably one of his first years then. Uh, and you know, he, he grabbed me after a game was like, heard that I was going to Brandeis. Rick had graduated from Brandeis and we kind of just forged, you know, a friendship through like that common bond of having gone to the same college. Um, I was coaching at a, and, and teaching at a school out in central mass called Nipmuc, mm-hmm. um, you know, prior in, uh, Milton Academy high was hiring. Um, <clears throat> I applied and, and, uh, Rick was the AD at BBNN and the coach of baseball, obviously, and helped you know, by speaking with RAD, um, and, you know, uh, offering up a, a recommendation for me. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's been, he, he, he's been huge, hugely influential in, in terms of like how, how I was, how I'm here. Yeah. And who would you say are, are there coaches that you've kind of modeled your style after, or at least taken points that you've, uh, implemented in your own coaching style? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to play for Coach Pete Varney at Brandeis, and, you know, his coaching tree is vast. Um, there are numerous people all sprinkled throughout college and high school that have coached for him, be it at Endicott, Wheaton, um, yeah, Bowden, et cetera. Um, you know, so he, he was hugely influential on, on me. I, you know, I, I can't thank him enough for all, all of the help that he gave me just as a, as a human being. Um, Mike Conley, who's at Bowden, um, is another person who, you know, who coached me for a couple of years at Brandeis before taking the Bowden job. And he and I have been in contact over the years and, and are, are, are really tight friends now. Um, and his, his style of coaching was, again, hugely influential on me. And uh, a kid that I played with for four years at Brandeis and was my roommate, um, George Reedy, he was at uh, Assumption um, and then moved down to Florida. Um, and I had the chance to coach with him. He actually gave me my first coaching job as a, as a, a coach on the uh, the West Boylston Legion team mm-hmm. um, and kind of gave me and got me into like the, the love of coaching and all that stuff that really kind of, you know, and then, you know, dovetailed into this somewhat, you know, 20 years later. So all those guys, and there's numerous others um, that, you know, I've taken things from, or, you know, um, learned little tidbits from and, uh, and kind of gone from there. And then I'm, I'm kind of the product of many different people. Yeah. Like, like all of us, I guess. Um, now, what would you, you said it kind of developed your love for coaching. What, what would you say you love about it? Is it the, the, you know, baseball side of it or the working with people or what, what do you love? Uh, I, I, the thing I missed the most when I got out, when I stopped playing was the camaraderie in the, mm-hmm. in the, you know, the, the going to, going to battle with guys and, you know, the jokes on the bench and like the jokes of practice and, and all those things that happened. That was the thing that I missed the most. And, you know, um, when I got back into it, uh, it, it was great. And, you know, then you start realizing your love for, um, you know, working with young people and seeing their successes and really enjoying their successes and then seeing them kind of go on, you know, to do great things at college, be it with baseball or without baseball. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the friendships and the lifetime bonds that are formed are, are really what I do this for. It's... Um, you know, I've, I've been invited to a couple of guys' weddings, which, you know, shows my age, but also is, you know, it's great. Like, it's such an honor to be there um, and such an honor for them to even consider me and, and think of me in that aspect. Um, but it's uh, that that's really what I love doing is just, you know, the the team aspect. It's, you know, 20, 20 guys pulling the rope in the same direction and, you know, trying to do what's best for everybody. And, and also, like, trying to help them and, you know, navigate life um, as young men trying to head off to college. Yeah. And then the last question for you, the um, I just want to kind of look forward at this season about, um, you know, we've seen uh, with other sports, there's been some starts and stops and, you know, games have been canceled because guys are uh, either close contacts or they test positive and things like that. And it doesn't look like 
uh, prep school level kids are going to be vaccinated this season. What measures do you have to put in place to make sure the season kind of goes off without any of those hitches? Uh, we'll be tested every Wednesday um, as a team and throughout the league, I believe. Um, I'm tested uh, twice a week because um, I live in a dorm at school. Hmm. Um, we uh, will be masked when we're when we're outside. We'll be distanced when we're outside. And, you know, we'll make sure that uh, any meeting that we have, like as a team, we'll be able to, if it has to be inside, it'll obviously have the capability to for everyone to be separated, but we'll most likely be outside. Um, we won't have use of uh, part of our indoor facility at school this year because there's not enough ventilation in that room. Mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate, sure, but it's uh, it's also necessary. Um, you know, so like we we're doing all the things that I think that are happening across the state for the average person, mm -hmm. um, in addition to you know kind of weekly consistent testing. Well, that sounds great. Well, I ho I wish you the best success and keeping everybody healthy and safe. Can't wait to see guys back on the field. That was, uh, it was sad last year when we had to go without a prep baseball season. So I'm really hoping everything works out, but thank you so much for taking the time and good luck with your season. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. And thanks for everything, you know, you guys do for prep baseball in new England. And, you know, we, as a coaches, uh, we all appreciate it. So thank you guys too. Firecracker sports serves all first time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball or softball needs with Firecracker Sports, player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. That's, that's great stuff. That's uh, always great stuff with Matt Patrick. Great uh, to have him on talking about his uh, experience and give his insight. Uh, what do you take away from that, Dan? Oh, it's just the way that the pandemic has affected every level of baseball. He talked about uh, his experience with Matt Tabor coming back at, you know, Matt was a third round pick back in 2017. And it's amazing that he's back, you know, helping out and mentoring players on the team, which probably would have never happened had it not been for the pandemic. But it's just been a crazy year that that's one positive you can take out of it. But you can also tell that Coach Petherick, you know, has been down at points because guys haven't been around baseball. You've missed out on the camaraderie that's normally established at this time of year. They're getting a late start, but it is everybody's optimistic that this is going to be kind of a seamless spring with us watching guys get back to playing baseball. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we we focus so much on the recruiting space uh, with New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com in this podcast. So we've told the stories about the the guys from the prep schools and the high schools that that missed out on critical, you know, freshman and sophomore, junior seasons, whatever. Uh, but then you look at the guys from the regions that have been recruited, have played in college, are starting pro careers, and missed a whole year of minor league ball, a, a whole year where they could have made a, a climb on the ladder or, or kept their spot. Now they're a year, another year older, and they're facing more challenges from younger guys that are going to be joining the organizations. Uh, it, it's really you can't emphasize enough how much this year has affected every level of baseball. Yeah. And it was interesting to hear he's 
he's maybe not as affected or it doesn't sound like he's as affected as much as some other coaches because he's got three division one commits, one at BC, one at Northeastern, one at Harvard. He's also got somebody going to Colby and you could say, oh, he's found a way to get it done. And what he emphasized is it's those relationships that you build with college coaches because when they're not getting looks over the last year, he has the relationships with the Mike Gambinos, the Mike Glavins, you know, the coach Decker at Harvard. And he was able to kind of vouch for these players, be honest about their skill set, and say, hey, you know, this is a prospect that could play at your school. And they trust him. So they took his word on it. So I think it, it was a it was a great to get his perspective on how it has affected recruiting, but you know, also how it's affected everybody mentally. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great take on that whole situation. And uh, I'll give a little plug to Colby here. That's where I played my college baseball, you know, for about three days during tryouts freshman year. Yeah, well, that's three days more than me. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks so much for joining. Thank you to Coach Petherick for joining the New England Baseball Journal podcast. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media production.